You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon today that I want to encourage you and highlight is very simple. It's called Get Up Out of That Grave. Get up out of that grave. I'm already tired of talking, so why don't you help me and say it to yourself and build your your faith up today and say, get up out of that grave. One, two, three, get up out of that grave. Get up out of that grave. In life, we know that here on earth, death is final. We know that the grave is final. There's no coming back from the grave. Like I said, it's the three-year anniversary of my grandfather passing, and I would do anything to be able to call him today, talk with him, talk with him about sports, find out what him and Granny are doing at the house. But there's something about death in the grave that's final. Throughout history, we bury our dead, put them away. But Jesus showed up and changed everything. Because throughout his ministry and throughout his life, when he happened upon a funeral, he changed everything. When there were men in tombs, when he himself was in a tomb, he showed us that death and the grave was not a finality. Because even when he was on the cross dying, it said, the skies darkened. And the veil in the temple ripped in two. And there was an earthquake. And it said that many people saw those in the dead walking among their midst. And it seems like everywhere Jesus went, he turned things upside down. And what we believe that the grave was final, he showed us that we could come out of the grave. If Jesus can get up out of his grave family today... I want to show you how he's made a way to help you get up out of your grave. Whether it's a grave of sin, whether it's a grave of dead dreams, bad thoughts, addictions, or whatever you deem is dead in your life, that you think there's no hope, there's no ability for me to come out of this anymore. I've dealt with it for years and years and years. So what's going to change today? Well, Jesus changes everything. And if he got out of that grave, then you can too. The scripture that I want to focus on today is found in Romans. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. And it says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, look at this, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. I can break down that scripture very simply. If he came out of that grave, you can come out of your grave. If he's alive and well, then you can become alive and well. The scripture says, as he is, so are we. That not only is God on our side, but he's also placed the Holy Spirit inside of us so that everywhere we go, he is with us. And if it's the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, 
that dwells now inside you. So if it's the same spirit that rose him up out of the grave, then it's the same spirit that can help you out of your grave today. The first thing we have to discuss as we talk about the Bible, as we talk about Christians, as we talk about this, is we have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's important and vital that as a Christian we believe that he not only died for our sins on the cross, but also rose from the dead three days later. That he's no longer in a grave, he's no longer in a tomb, but he is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. That this, as being a Christian, is something vital that we have to believe. There's some things in the scriptures that we can agree to disagree on. You don't believe in healing? That's okay. You'll just get to heaven quicker than me. But something that we can't disagree on is the gospel. That Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and rose again the third day. There are some things in here. It's not going to send us to hell if we disagree on. The gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, the things that have divided the church for years. But what we have to believe together as a church and as a whole is that not only did he die on the cross, but that he rose from the grave. We have to believe that. It's something that everybody in all the churches in this community, in this world, are preaching and can agree on. We are unified today in this moment that Christ rose from the dead. In Mark chapter 16, in verse 6, an angel is sitting in the tomb waiting on people to show up. But he says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angel himself can't even, can't even stop himself from sharing the gospel with everyone who shows up to the tomb. Yes, he died on a cross for your sins, but he is alive. He is well. He is risen. There is documentation, as we see in the scriptures, of people who saw Jesus and experienced him. They saw him eat. They talked with him. They touched his flesh. I believe Doubting Thomas gets a bad rap because that's his name. They don't call him Denying Peter. They don't give nicknames to the other ones, but somehow Doubting Thomas gets a bad rap because of one time, put yourself in his shoes, in his position, that the grave has been final for all these years. Your best friend, your leader, your savior, you, you didn't even show up to his death. You heard that he died. You heard that they put him in a tomb, and then you heard that he rose again. How many people had Thomas buried throughout his life? And now all of a sudden he hears that this man is alive, and he says, well, I'm going to have to touch him, put my fingers in the holes in his hands and in his side. And then Jesus shows up. Says, hey, come on. Do what you said. And then Jesus says, It is good that you believed, but more blessed are those who do not see yet still believe. 
I guarantee you in heaven, it says in Revelations that the foundations of heaven have the names of the disciples etched on there. I guarantee you it doesn't have Peter, James, and John and Doubting Thomas. I guarantee you that it has his name, Thomas. Because Thomas went as far as he could and went all the way to India and shared the gospel and was stabbed and thrown off a cliff for what he believes. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. Paul, the apostle, writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, And he, being Jesus, we see the word he being capitalized, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Look at this. He's the firstborn. Prepositions are very important. They're vital when it comes to reading the Bible. He's not the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one who came back to life. So that way, if he came back to life, that way I can come back to life and you can come back to life. And anyone who believes on the firstborn from the dead can receive that life. Firstborn from the dead. It says in the scriptures that Jesus is our big brother. And if my big brother went and bullied and beat up the devil, then I have the power and the authority to go bully and beat up the devil too. If Jesus had the power to go, my big brother to go, and become alive again, then he's given me that same power to walk out of any grave that tries to hold me down and tries to hold me back. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 5, we see the writer of Revelations, the Apostle John, say essentially the same thing that the Apostle Paul says. And from Jesus Christ, I love this, the faithful witness the faithful witness, and the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. At the end, at at his last supper, he's there, and he's washing his disciples' feet in water, and here it says that he's washing us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus himself is bathing us In his blood, those sins that you think are hidden, those sins that you forgot about, those sins and frustrations that you were dealing with, it says that Jesus washed you. I have children. We make a bubble bath. We put them in the tub. After they've been playing outside, they've got food all over them, they've got dirt all over them, and we put them in the tub, we let them splash around for a little bit, and then we come back and we have to bathe them because there's still spaghetti sauce on their neck, there's still dirt underneath their legs and in between their toes. They didn't see all of that, but me as their father, I see where it's all at and I can wash every part of them clean, it says here in Revelations that he's washed us in his blood. You don't think Jesus can give you a good enough bath to wash away all of your sins, past, present, and future? The second leading religion in the world, Islam, you can go to the Green Dome 
in Medina, Saudi Arabia, and you can see the grave and the tomb of the Prophet Muhammad. One of the fastest growing religions, it's kind of weird, they call it the, the fourth largest Christian religion in America, Mormonism. You can go to Nauvoo, Illinois, go to the Smith Family Cemetery, and you can see where Joseph Smith is buried, the one who found the gold tablets in a hat from an angel named Moron. All right. Sometimes you can't make it up. The fourth largest religion, Buddhism. Recently, they found Buddha's cremated remains in some county that I can't even pronounce in China. There's a dispute on where actually Jesus' burial was. There's a church in Jerusalem where they believe and they have the slab that they say Joseph of Arimathea washed and rinsed Jesus' body, but there's also in a garden a tomb that doesn't have the stone but has the mechanism and the setup to where they believe a stone could have been rolled, but they have a hard time deciphering between which location is actually the one where Jesus was because you can go to the place and the burial site of where dead people are. I can take you to my grandfather's tomb. I can take you to these other prophets and God's tombs, but there's a dispute because we don't know where Jesus was buried because Jesus is no longer there. He's alive and he's risen. Jesus is alive And when John has this vision in Revelations, he sees Jesus, and Jesus tells him this in Revelations chapter 1, verse 17, and when John saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he, being Jesus, laid his right hand on me. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And this is like a P.S. that Jesus just throws in. Oh, and by the way, I have the keys of Hades and death. I'm alive. I died, but now I'm alive again. Oh, by the way, I'm alive forevermore. And P.S., I have these two keys that are dangling on my jacket, and those keys are to death, hell, and the grave. All the other religions, gods, or prophets are dead and buried, never to be heard from again or help those that believe on them. Preached a service a couple weeks ago called But God. But God, your God, is not only alive. He's not only alive. It's great that he's alive. I'm excited that God is alive. You should be excited that God and Jesus are alive. But sometimes, you know what, that's just not enough that he's alive. It's also knowing that he is willing to help me in my situation. It's great to know that there's somebody alive on the other side of the world. But if they can't help me, what's the point of that? Jesus is alive, but not only is he alive, it says in the scriptures that he's interceding for you. It says that he's ready and willing to help you. It says in Revelations that he's ready to wash you in his blood and do away with all your sin. It's amazing that he's alive, but it's also amazing that he wants to help me. Jeremiah Land from Louisiana in the year 2021, who needs help now more than ever, who needs his love, who needs his blood 
who needs his encouragement, who needs his prayers now more than ever. It's not only that he's alive, but he's willing to help you, save you, rescue you. So hopefully we've made some type of encouragement in your theology to believe that Jesus is risen. He is not in a tomb. He is alive. He went up to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So the next question that we have to ask is, why is it important that he's alive? Why is it important that he is risen? I'm glad you asked that today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, Paul makes this statement to the church of Corinth. Uh, let's go verse 14. Sorry, I got a lot in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know if it's there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Wait a second. Paul doubles down right here and says, If Christ is not risen, if he did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is empty. Uh Uh-oh, why am I up here? And your faith is also empty. That word empty means empty, vain, or devoid of truth. Boy, now more than ever do we need truth. Now more than ever do I need to know what is true. The media is telling me something. The government's telling me something. The town officials are telling me something. The governor's telling me something. And then even in social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, they're all telling me something. My pastor's telling me something. The Bible's telling me something. My family's telling me something. Everybody is telling me something, and I just want to know the truth. And it says if he did not rise, then your faith and preaching is void of truth. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came, and when he came, he came full of grace and truth says in the scriptures that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you read, I believe it's in Revelations, one of the names of Jesus is truth. If you know Jesus, then you know the truth. And if Christ is not written, risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith Is also empty, which means what we just talked about, we know now that Christ is risen. So, therefore, this statement is not true. Christ is risen, so therefore, our preaching isn't empty. It's full of truth, and your faith is also not empty. It's not devoid of truth, but it's full of truth. That it says in the scriptures that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So, I don't have empty faith. Even if I have a little bit of faith, I can change the world, I can change my world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, the same spirit of faith, there's not a whole bunch of spirits of faith out there. We have the same spirit of faith. I'm not something special just because I'm a pastor. We have the same spirit of faith. I've seen miracle signs and wonders happen in my life. You can see that because we have the same spirit of faith. I haven't gotten it yet. Maybe it got lost in the mail. But when I became a head pastor of the church, I didn't receive a special Bible from God. 
An angel didn't deliver me a special card or a special Bible that says this is the book that all the pastors have and everybody out in the crowd, they have a different Bible. Yours you can read and it makes more sense and there's more revelation and there's more wisdom in it so you sound smarter than everybody else. I didn't get that. Might be lost in the mail. USPS has been moving slow. I've got the same book that you got. Just a dumb Cajun who believes that what this book says actually can change my life. We have the same faith according to what is written. Paul is referencing a scripture back in Psalms. I believed and therefore I spoke. So therefore it helped somebody else when they believed, when they had faith and they believed and they spoke. Therefore, we also believe and we also therefore speak. If it helped them, if it helped me, if it helped you, if it helped your friend, we have the same spirit of faith. We can still all believe that what Jesus did, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And what this book says, I'm going to believe it and speak it no matter what my circumstance looks like. No matter how entombed I feel right now in this moment. No matter how dark, no matter how scary, no matter how evil that is surrounding me, I'm coming out of that grave today in the name of Jesus because I have the same faith that he had. You have the same faith that he has. Verse 14 says, knowing, going back to our previous point, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. You shall know the truth and the truth will. See how important it is to believe the resurrection? See how important it is to understand that he is risen? Because if you don't believe that, then your faith is void. Any preaching that you hear is void, falls on deaf ears. There are some scriptures that talk about the importance of faith, the importance of speaking and believing. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith, I love this scripture, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith, I love that phrase, now faith, because you could have walked in today not believing that he rose from the dead. You could have walked in today in your tomb believing that you would never get free. You could have walked in today believing there's no hope, that God doesn't care about you, God's not going to love you, but now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can believe right now and receive your miracle. We increase our faith, Romans 10, 17, by hearing the word of God. You're hearing that today. Therefore, your faith is being increased. Faith is the vehicle that brings us to salvation by believing in our heart unto righteousness and confessing in our mouth is made unto salvation. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. Salvation is achieved because by grace you have been saved through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Not by any of your works, lest any man should boast. There's no work that you can do to obtain that salvation outside of speaking and believing. That's not even a work. We use faith to get into God's kingdom and continue to use faith as we journey in life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says we walk by faith and not by natural sight. It says that we should walk by the Spirit and we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And ultimately, faith is used in Hebrews eleven six 6 to please the Father. 
Second John verse 5, 4 and 5 says that we overcome the world by our faith. The importance of believing, speaking that Jesus rose from the dead. Because it builds your faith. If I can believe that a man 2,000 years ago died on a cross, buried in a tomb, and then rose again three days later, then went up back into heaven. If we can believe that, why is it so difficult for us to believe the rest of that book? We believe in Noah's Ark. We believe that David beat Goliath with a rock and a slingshot. We believe in this mystery of the virgin birth. But then there's other things in the book where we say, no, 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 that's, that's too much for me. I can't believe that. I, I can't. That's not right. That doesn't make sense. Either it's all true or it's all a lie, family. Either it's all true in that book or it's all a lie. Either what God has for you is all truth or it's all a lie. The last thing, I'll finish with this. Jesus came out of that grave so we can as well. Jesus went to a funeral. He was actually fashionably late. He showed up four days after the funeral. And he's talking with the family of that man who died, Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus is saying to the sister of the man who passed, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he's asking her the same question that I'm asking you today. Do you believe this? Jesus makes this statement after her brother. They've already sent out a telegram. They already sent an email, a text message to Jesus and said, hey, our brother is sick. We know he loves Lazarus. He's going to show up. He's going to heal him just like he's healed everybody else throughout his ministry. And Jesus says, we're going to hang out here a little bit longer. And then he shows up, and the two sisters run to him, and they say, where, you, where were you? Maybe that's the question you're asking today. Jesus, where were you? My marriage is falling apart. My health is falling apart. I'm dealing with this addiction. I'm dealing with these mental issues. I'm dealing with this fear and frustration. Jesus, where are you? Why weren't you here? I prayed. I called you. We emailed you. We texted you. We DM'd you. We did everything that we could do. Jesus, where were you? Why haven't you shown up yet? I'm still stuck in this grave. I'm still dead, I'm still rotting, I'm still tired. Jesus, where were you? And Jesus shows up and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you're dead, I'll make you alive again. Do you believe it? The definition of the word resurrection is your stand-up and recovery. Anastasis. A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. Jesus said in that moment, he says, I am your stand-up and I am your recovery. 
You might not be able to stand up out of that grave. Your, your, your brother Lazarus cannot stand up out of that grave. He is dead. But he says, if you believe in me, no matter what the situation is, I am your stand up and I am your recovery. We can read the story as we jump down to verse 43. Now we had said all these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And it's believed and theologians speculate that if Jesus did not attach a name to what he was about to say, everybody from the dead would have rose right then. So he had to be specific when he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he just would have said, come forth, everybody from the grave would have got up and walked out. That's how powerful your God is. And he who had died could do nothing else but stand up and recover and walk out of that grave. Came out hand and foot with great clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. I am here today sent on the authority of Jesus Christ to speak into your life, into whatever grave you are currently in, to say that he has come to set you free and say the simple words of loose him, loose her, and let them go. Jesus is your stand-up and your recovery. You might be in a situation or your whole life where nobody stood up for you. Nobody's fought for you. You've been bullied. You've been pushed down. You've been cooked, kicked to the curb. Your family doesn't care about you. Your friends and family have abandoned you. They make fun of you. But it says Jesus is there to stand up for you. I want to remind you during this last Easter week of Jesus standing up for you. And you can come. I'm finishing now. Jesus is your stand-up and recovery. Jesus stood up for you when he was washing the disciples' feet at the Passover and the Last Supper. Jesus stood up and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he falls down. And it says that he's under such pressure at that moment that he's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out to God if this cup can pass from me. Let it happen. Because in that moment, the sin started settling upon Jesus. The weight of the world started pressing him. And just like a grape, blood already started to seep out of him. And he knew that he had to shed his blood on the cross. Because it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. So he couldn't die in the garden. He had to stand up and get to the cross. He couldn't get all his blood out. He said, God, if you want me to die here, then I'll do it. But help me. Let this pass from me so I can make it to the cross. And he stood up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of his disciples ran away from him. Judas kisses him on the cheek. As he's betrayed and abandoned. Jesus is brought to this kangaroo court in the middle of the night. And they start hitting him and beating him. The religious leaders of this time are hitting him and beating him, pulling his beard out. Every time he got hit, every time he got knocked down, Jesus stood up for you. Jesus stands up next to Pilate as they release Barabbas, the murderer the one who deserved the penalty of death, watched him just walk away. We don't see in the scriptures that Barabbas ever converted, turned into a disciple, thanked Jesus for what he did, 
walked away. Jesus stood up. On the way to the cross, Jesus was sent to the whipping post. And the only reason he went to that whipping post was because by his stripes, you were made healed. And he took that whipping and he took that beating for you. And family, Jesus stood up from that because he wasn't done yet. He got to that cross and they hammered him to that cross and Jesus stood up on that cross in the moment that his father, the one that he was so close to, his father turns his back on him and he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He's looking at everybody else who's making fun of him. None of his friends and family are there. He's looking at his mother crying and he's standing up there trying to breathe, making every statement that he says is a priority. And Jesus makes the last declaration of faith that he can. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With the Father being nowhere around him, completely rejecting him, he said, Father, I know what you told me I was here to do. And you told me if I died, you'd rise me again. And then Jesus went down into eternal punishment where we should have gone. And family, he stood up in there. And he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And it says in Colossians, he made a mockery of the devil. Family, he stood up again when he walked out of that grave for you three days later. He went up to heaven. And then my Jesus, your Jesus, says he sat down after the finished work of the cross, seated at the right hand of the Father. But don't get it wrong, because one day again, he's going to stand up again. When he comes back for our church, he's going to stand up in victory and he's going to come down with trumpets ablazing, recognizing here I am and here's my church and the dead in Christ. My grandfather included are going to rise first. They're going to come out of that grave and so are we. He stood up for you. He is your stand up in recovery. You might not be able to stand up today. You might not be able to figure out, how am I going to recover from this? He's your stand-up, and he's your recovery. If he came out of that grave, no matter what you're going through in life, if you're in a position where you feel dead inside, whether spiritually, mentally, or physically, then today is your day to experience your stand-up in recovery. Jesus has stood up time and time again for you, and today he wants to stand up for you again. He wants to be your stand-up in recovery. Let him help you stand up and walk out of that grave that you think is your final holding space. Now and today is your day of recovery with Jesus' help. Believe on him for eternal salvation and more. He came out of that grave, so today you can too. Right now, he is your resurrection in your life. Romans 6, verse 4, our scripture. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism unto death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you right now in this moment should walk in the newness of life. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth to the Gentiles. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, with also which, which you have received and which you, look at that word, stand. Your stand up in recovery 
that we stand in this, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I don't believe in vain, because I believe that he is risen, therefore my faith is not in vain. Verse 3 says, for I delivered you, first of all, that which also I received. He says, I can only tell you what I've experienced by encountering Jesus, that Christ died for your sins today, according to the scriptures. Verse 4 says that he was buried in a tomb. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if anyone believes and confesses that simple gospel message, that's all you have to do, you're brought into the kingdom. It says in the scriptures that you're conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That word conveyed in the scriptures is the idea of picking up a plant out of a garden and placing it in another garden. All of the roots, all of the leaves, all of the flowers, that there's nothing left in the kingdom of darkness. It is picked up, conveyed. It can't be brought by itself to another garden. It is picked up by hand and planted into another garden, which is the kingdom of God. That is the power of the gospel to pull you out of hell and plant you in heaven where it says in the scriptures you were a foreigner, you were an enemy, and you were a stranger as a Gentile. And now the mystery has been revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is risen indeed. And by believing on that will change your life forever. Jesus changes everything. If he came out of that grave, no, no grave can hold you anymore. In Jesus' name. So let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. We're going to pray a simple prayer together as a family. If it's your first time praying a salvation prayer, you've never been saved before, or you're believing that now's the time to come back, to come out of that grave, to come out of whatever is holding you back, today is the day. I'm going to lead us all in a prayer but my words are not what's going to save you. It's not what's going to help you. It's you, we saw in the scriptures, you confessing and you believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth the gospel message. So repeat after me. Dear Lord, I need you to change everything. Dear Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and that he was buried and three days later he rose. Thank you for the gospel message. Father, help me come out of that grave today. Father, if Jesus came out of that grave, then today I'm coming out of my grave. I'm not looking back I'm not dealing with that same sin. I'm not dealing with that same addiction. I'm not dealing with the kingdom of darkness anymore. Father, thank you for bringing me into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, I want to talk with you after service. If you're coming back to God, I want to talk with you. I want to hear you tell me I'm coming back. I'm getting back involved with God. Whatever you need today in your life, he's bringing you out of that grave. Let's stand up today. We're going to take communion together as a family. Because if we all prayed that prayer, then we're all part of the family of God.
and we get to participate. If you need communion, then raise your hand or something, and we'll get one to you quickly. We might need one more. Anybody else need one? He's coming. We all good? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from Christ that which I also delivered to you, that the same night in which Christ was betrayed, he gave thanks. He took the bread, he broke it, and he says, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do in remembrance of me. It says, After they had supped, he takes the cup that's full of wine. And he says, this wine represents my blood, which is shed for you, which is the new covenant. Take and drink and do in remembrance of me. But we believe by faith that there's something significant when we as a family take communion together. Number one, we don't remember ourselves. We don't remember our sins, our failures. It says in the scriptures, Jesus says, remember me. Remember what I did. Because when you remember him, when you put your thoughts and your eyes on him, the things of this world, that song says, grow strangely dim. When I see his beauty, when I see his face, when I remember what he did for me, everything else goes by the wayside. And it says in the scriptures that his body was broken. His body was whipped And the only reason it was whipped is for the simple scripture that says, by his stripes, 1 Peter, I believe it says, you were already healed. Your healing has already been established. That sozo healing has gone out from his body, which heals you, mind, soul, body, everything. So if there is sickness in your body, no matter what's going on in your body right now, no matter what the doctors have said, no matter what issues are going on, in your mental, your physical, whatever it is in your body, Jesus has already healed it. He's already delivered you from it. He's already told you and made a way for you to come out of that grave of sickness and disease. And even if you have friends and family that aren't here today, we can take this together, standing in the gap for them, believing that the Holy Spirit can move in their life right now and heal their body. And in Jesus' name, I declare healing into your body. Let's receive of the body together. I'm not going to lie to you, this is the hardest part. We might not even be able to open that one. As you work, I'll talk. There was an old covenant. And the old covenant was designed by God. And God made the choice to create a new covenant, it says. Hebrews, it says he made a covenant that was based and built on better principles and better things. And that better thing was you. That better thing in the new covenant was me. All the Gentiles were allowed now to walk boldly into his throne room of grace and obtain grace and mercy. 
It says that his blood that was poured out released the new covenant into all the earth. So that anyone believes upon his name, it says that in him, all the blessings, all the promises are yes. No if, ands, or buts, yes. And in him, amen. That word amen means let it be. Let it be in my life, in your life, all of the new covenant, let it be. Let me receive it. In Matthew, there's a, when it talks about Jesus doing the Lord's Supper with them at the, at the Passover meal, he tells his disciples, take it all. Drink all the wine. Take everything that's in that new covenant. Don't hold anything back. If it's in there and it says I can have it, then I choose to receive it. So what we do here at Press Church, I'd like you to join me. I'll use this. We raise our glass, and what we do is we toast the captain of our salvation, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come, the risen Savior, the healer, the one who is interceding for us, the one who came out of the grave and therefore encouraged us to come out of our grave, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the head of the church, the truth, the faithful witness, the one who is coming back for us, and the one we get to spend eternity with our big brother Jesus, and we say thank you today for everything that you've done, and let's receive of the blood of Christ today together, family. Father, I thank you for these people that are here, those watching online, those listening by podcast. I thank you that you have given them the faith and encouraged them to come out of their grave, to start dreaming again, to start believing again, to start breathing again, to start experiencing you again, to not get caught up in the things of this world, but to walk by the Spirit and let the things, the flesh, just go by the wayside. Because being with you makes everything else unimportant. Experiencing you one time, tasting and seeing that you are good one time, can forever change the course of a man or woman's life to fall in love with you. And not because I fell in love with you, but because you fell in love with me first. And I say thank you. Father, bless your people today. I thank you, Father. Your word says that they have the mind of Christ. Your word says that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Your word says that they are the head and not the tail. Your word says the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Your word says that they have favor with God and with man. Your word says that they are the city set on a hill. Your word says that everywhere they go, they release the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, your word says that they are blessed and highly favored. Your word says that they are healed and whole. Your word says the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of them. Father, may the Lord bless them and keep them. Make his face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. And give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter. We're so glad that you are here. We have a prayer journal. We're going to be praying the pastors tomorrow. If you have a prayer need, write it in that prayer journal. There's something else. Oh, if you want to take pictures on the wall over here uh, to, to Facebook, pick up your kids. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.